if we stop and think about it, I believe that most of us would probably say that we have not taken the advice of Psalm 46 seriously enough. Be still and know that I am God. Our knowledge of God is always imperfect, yet we don't always take the time to listen, do we? To make our knowledge and experience of God a little less imperfect. We are very much like the deaf and dumb man in our gospel lesson today. We are indeed born into that condition of deafness and dumbness ourselves, though not the physical kind. And we need the grace and mercy of God to heal us, to open our ears that we might have ears to hear. Yet instead of being open to having our ears opened, we continually seem to stop up our ears from the truth, don't we? We continually find ourselves more concerned with ourselves than with the things of God, the will of God, obedience to that word which we no longer want to hear. I'm sure you've experienced the moment where The Holy Spirit brings a piece of scripture to mind as you're just walking towards that sin. And you just say, I didn't hear that. What? I don't see that. There's no image in my mind of my Bible with that verse laid out. Or is it just me? So we find ourselves, I'm afraid, back in the position of needing God's mercy. Over and over and over again. Of needing him to open our ears so that we might truly have ears to hear his word. And then, of course, we need him to continually open our mouths so that we may show forth his praise and be in prayer, as St. Paul would say, continuously. Now that is a whole nother sermon, practicing to be able to do that. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is traveling through the midst of the region of Decapolis. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Apparently, this man's friends helped him to get to Jesus. So ask yourself, does this man even know who Jesus is? I mean, as far as I'm aware, the flannel graphs didn't start till after this time. So he hasn't even seen a picture of it. And for those of you who are younger, I'll explain later. It's not pretty. Does he even know who Jesus is? His means of communication are pretty slim. His faith is not perfect, I'm sure. He can't hear and he can't speak, but he can see and he can feel. His friends, perhaps even the disciples, are asking Jesus, put his hands upon him, heal him. Now Jesus does some pretty amazing things. He speaks the words and people are healed at a distance. Remember those stories. He feeds multitudes of people with very little food. He raises the dead. I mean, come on. Fixing the ears and allowing this man to speak. By the way, 
if you've never heard anything in your life, you would have no idea what sounds, what language sounds like, right? Um, is there a chance this man could read? Possibly. Um, there were actually a pretty good schooling system at, at, at this time in Israel. But we don't know. But even if he could read, he would have no idea how these words are supposed to sound. Uh, we've had a student that had the cochlear ear implant, and they scheduled uh, speech therapy because even though she could hear enough to communicate, wow, that's going to be a whole new, different type of hearing for her, and she would need some help in producing and pronouncing sounds that make up words that make up, you know, right? So for this guy to just turn around and start speaking, that's a miracle in and of itself, right? It's not just, oh, now he can hear, now he can speak. It doesn't work that way. Jesus does these amazing miracles. As a preacher over 100 years ago put it in our lesson today, the incident recorded is not of that powerful voice which awoke the dead nor of that word which storms and winds obeyed. It is not any great stupendous miracle by which persons at a distance were suddenly healed by the command of Christ, or of that power which brought fish to the shore at his bidding, nor of evil spirits trembling and terrified before him, nor of his forgiving sins as the Almighty Judge who is to come, but it is an apparently small manifestation of his power under peculiar circumstances. His making a stammering man to speak plain, and even that not without some delay and apparent difficulty, and with something, as it were, of human means. We are almost tempted to ask, where are his great words of power? It's different, right? This is a different type of story. The incident we deal with today is indeed not one of those amazing shows of power. Instead, Jesus took him aside from the multitude. Hey, come over here. Let's get a little privacy. <clears throat> Maybe there was a building he just stepped behind. Sometimes it is the very little things in life that matter the most. As we all look back on God's mercy in our lives, we are amazed at the big miraculous happenings. For instance, this week at St. Andrew's Academy, receiving applications and apparent students that will appear this week at the airport. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, it brings tears to my eyes. And so we are, and rightly so, amazed at these big moments in our lives where God has decisively acted. <clears throat> but I think if we're honest that we are probably, if we stop and think about it, more amazed at God helping us to stay faithful over the long haul. In other words, the small miracles, the small successes of the Holy Spirit in our lives for the kingdom of God in our lives those are often the really important things. <clears throat> it might be a miracle that you stopped taking, fill in your drug of choice. And indeed, I've heard those miraculous stories. The bigger miracle, though, is that 
many of us actually continue to not sin in these ways over the long haul. And we start to take care of sin and get rid of it over the long haul to what at the end of our lives we're like, the big miracle is that I'm still in the kingdom right now. The big miracle is that I'm coming to church every week and partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. That's really the big miracle because I know my life, man, there are, there are pathways off the main path every five feet, right? I mean, there's temptation and there's distraction from the goal. <clears throat> Here in our lesson today, Jesus takes this deaf and dumb man aside from the crowd. Here is no demonstration to the crowd. Here is no voice commanding the winds and waters. Here is no power obviously being shown forth to a watching world. Here, rather, is God incarnate, ministering unto an individual who cannot hear the word that Jesus would speak to him. Here is God encountering one of his creatures who is suffering the effects of sin. And here Jesus takes his time. It's as if he is a model for pastors, for clergy, as if he's a model to all of us of how to deal with hurting people. Can you imagine being this man who has been trapped in his own head perhaps for most of his life? Can you imagine coming face to face with the master? You don't know who he is, really. But obviously, you are encountering the one who can make you whole. It must have just been totally obvious. This man takes you aside. Why would you even go aside? Everyone's talking about, well, you don't hear the talk, but everyone's moving their lips and they're following this guy. And here you're there and he takes you aside. Now it's one-on-one -on -one and he's in your face. Well, in a big way, right? I mean, <clears throat> you can't hear, but you're being led aside for a private encounter with this famous person. Then his fingers are in your ears. Yeah, that's a little weird. At least to us today, right? Like, okay, personal space, personal space. Perhaps it's uncomfortable, but perhaps it even hurts a little, as it sometimes hurts to have sin wiped clean from our hearts. Okay, even weirder yet, suddenly he's putting his saliva on your tongue. I mean, in our day and age, that's a big no-no. I mean, you, you never know what you're going to catch, right? What are you thinking if you're this man? Why are you not running away? This guy's getting weird. I think it's because if you're this man, you know that something amazing is happening. You are in front of divinity, though you may not know how or why or what that means. I just have an idea. I'm not saying this is scripture. I'm just like, there is something crazy going on. Otherwise, if I were him, I would have been bolted. And then you watch Jesus look up, sigh, and say something. What is it that you see on Jesus' face? What is he concerned about? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is dealing with one of his own that is suffering. And in that sigh, I believe we see Christ's sorrow for his creation. 
for all those whom he came to redeem. Jesus loves his creation. Jesus came to set free those under bondage, to heal the wounded and brokenhearted. Here in our gospel lesson, Jesus does just that by communicating his person to this man beset with the evils and consequences of sin. It is as if, as that same preacher, Father Williams, says, Jesus acted thus so that this man and the witnesses might thus come to understand that his body was full of Godhead, that the touch and communion of his sacred flesh healed and hallowed mankind, that it was he who was in the beginning with God and was God, when he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, Jesus wanted this man and wants mankind in general, including you and me, to hear the word of God and to have the proper reaction, to open our mouths and praise God and to live as we speak in obedience to his word. So brethren, what is our response to the gospel of grace and mercy this day? Will we challenge ourselves to deal with the realities of our sin? Will we allow God to have mercy upon us? All too often, it's easy to speak the right words, to do the right actions, to fulfill the rituals and the ceremonies demanded of us without having the heart to go along. A dead ceremonialism substitutes washing with water for purity of heart. The traditions of man for the commands of God. The worship of the lips for the worship of the heart. A dead ceremonialism substitutes avoidance of unclean food for avoidance of impure and malicious thoughts. Notice that I said a dead ceremonialism. There is nothing wrong with ceremony. This is where our contemporary culture gets it all wrong, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. No, the scripture tells us that ceremony is good. It tells us that we need ceremony, we need ritual. But ceremony without the heart is less than good or downright evil. It is habits that get us where we need to go. So as we pursue God, we have to develop habits of the heart that help us to pursue God. And yes, I know I get asked this a lot. Something like, well, I looked at this young lady or this young man and said, well, did you do that for the right reason? You know, you did the right thing, but it wasn't from a heart that wanted to please God. And the answer was no. I said, and, and this person says, that's just horrible. We got to change this. How do we help these young people? I'm like, no, 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 no. We're on step one. That's good. I didn't, um, my children were hoping that my daughters understand it now, but they didn't do the right thing out of a pure heart of love for God, they did the right thing because they wanted to avoid the consequences when they were tiny, right? And as they grow, they start to understand and the heart follows the habit. 
So we do need to develop habits. So is it less good to do the right thing because you know it's the right thing to do, and not be, and, but you don't want to? Yes, it's the right thing. Is it a better thing to do the right thing because you want to serve and love this person and glorify God? That's a better thing. But it is also an evil thing to do the right thing for your own selfish gain, for malicious ideas to uh, manipulate people, right? I mean, so there's multiple options of our actions and multiple places our hearts can be. Do not think for a moment that memorizing the Lord's Prayer is a bad idea. Don't think for a moment that in every service in this church saying the Lord's Prayer is vain repetition. Can it be vain repetition for you and for me? Yes. Part of our job of praying is to work with our hearts and our minds so that we are participating fully, mind and heart, and our lips and our vocal cords as we're praying the Lord's Prayer. That's a lifelong job. There's still days where I have to ask God for forgiveness. You know, I had kids come up to me after they've learned a bit at school, say, well, I said, uh, you know, Johnny, why weren't you praying this morning during our prayer service? I noticed your lips were closed. Well, Father, I just didn't have a good heart. So I didn't want to pray in vain. I didn't want to have a bad heart and pray. I said, oh, it's a good thought that you didn't want to do that. But the answer is not to close your lips. The answer is to confess to God that you don't have a good heart. Ask him for a good heart and start praying. Notice, again, if you will, Christ's action in the gospel. He doesn't just heal from a distance. He doesn't just speak words. He touches. He interacts. He puts his saliva on this man's tongue. Ceremony of a sort, yes, but with real impact and real grace and real healing. When we come to the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus... We are interacting with Christ. We are coming to participate in Christ just as if Christ had drawn us aside and put his ears in our his fingers in our ears and his saliva on our tongue. We are indeed consuming Jesus. That's beyond our comprehension of even what that means. As we receive the bread and the wine, we receive Jesus. And we receive his grace. It is true and real interaction. So brethren, I ask again, what is our response to the gospel of grace and mercy this day? Are our ears stopped up? Are the voices of our heart silent? Or is the voice of our heart evil? Or rather, are we hearing the word of God and responding with a heart that seeks to praise and worship and honor and glorify If it is not from our hearts, then we will not live out those words that we're saying today in our liturgy. And it were better probably, if our hearts are evil, not to have spoken them in vain. What is stopping up your ears? What part of this sinful world have we taken up and lived with so that we have a hard time hearing the voice of God? Usually that would be our pet sins, right? the habitual ones that we don't even think about, we do them so often. What sin do we love so much that we refuse to be healed by God, to be made whole this day and pick up our cross and follow him? 
<clears throat> very often it's the sin of selfishness because the idea of picking up a cross and following Jesus doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? You've never seen the t-shirt that, that you know, has Christ on the cross and you pick up your cross, let's go. Those don't sell so well. Maybe I can be crucified too. It don't sell so well. What is it that keeps us from shouting from the rooftops? He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And what keeps us from then living out the reality of what those words mean? I pray you leave it aside and commune with God in word and sacrament this morning and every day and every week and every season. Let us go forth to the world this morning with his praise on our lips and praying continually, having partaken of God's mercy and the forgiveness of our sins and the power of his word.